Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. And we're in a series, and it's titled, What's the Big Deal? Everybody say, What's the Big Deal? Now, here's the whole heart of it. Here's why we're doing it. Uh, the church is infamous, not famous, infamous for making a big deal of things that they shouldn't have made a big deal about. And then not guarding what God told them to make a big deal about it. I'll prove it to you. In the book of Galatians, I, have you ever noticed we always glorify the early church? I just wish we'd go back to the church of Acts. I don't, I'm good. You know, I mean, you look at these churches, like they're like fighting over like if you can eat pork or not. I would be annoyed, like the, the, this church at the time, Peter walked with Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, halfway through his ministry, he's like, yeah, eating pork is bad. You can get away from me, you pork eaters, you know? You like bacon, yeah, you know? So the church, like you go to church, like those are the bacon people. We don't talk to the bacon people. Like that's a weird church. Paul shows up, you're making a big deal about bacon? It's about the gospel. You know, and Peter's like, oh yeah, good point. I am, my bad. I mean, this is what happens. The church is infamous for making these things a big deal and forgetting about the gospel that set us free. Message of grace. The church of Corinth, oh, the most dysfunctional church in the Bible. Literally, every chapter is just something they're doing wrong in the first, uh, first book. It's like, you did this wrong. Next one, you did this wrong. Yeah, you had a guy marry his, uh, his, his stepmom. That, you guys didn't know that was wrong. Big problems. I mean, it is a dysfunctional church. One of the things that was so important to them, that it was such a big deal, was speaking in tongues. And here's why it was such a big deal to them. In culture that time, all the religions and all the mediums, you were the most spiritual, you're the most impressive, you spoke in utterances. So if you spoke in a different language, people thought you were the most impressive. So Corinth was an arrogant church, so they elevated tongues over loving people. Tongues over doctrine. And Paul said, tongues are great but just sound like a gong because you made it way too big of a deal. Churches get really annoying when they make the wrong things a big deal. Again, these things are important, but if you make it the thing, mm, we got a problem. And now there's movements today that just make things a big deal that shouldn't be a big deal. There are movements that think they have all the answers to everything and tell you what you should think and shouldn't think. I have a verse for that in just a little bit. Historically, the church has done a lot of damage uh, making the wrong things a big deal. A lot of people have been hurt. I, I, uh, on my vacation, I was um, in Tahoe for two weeks and I think six days, and uh, I got to golf twice. Um, and one of the times I golfed, I golfed with a man who grew up in church, but now he's agnostic. And I asked him why. And he said, man, people just forced all these rules on me, and I just felt like they were trying to control me, and it was just so shaming. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, that, my first church was like that too. I, well, you know, that's not Jesus. That's religion. Like, Jesus, that's not how Jesus rolls. Like, he's going to love you where he's at, but he loves you so much, man. He's got so much for you. And, and I was trying to share it with him. I was just so upset. I was like, man, this, the biggest reason for non-Christians are Christians. They make a big deal of things that they're making the wrong big deal about. And to be honest, today the church is being tested to make things a big deal that shouldn't be a big deal. I, I'm still embarrassed about the mask stuff in churches. Can I just say it? I'm embarrassed that Christians are like, what church, what's your stance on masks? We don't wear them. I'm in. Because that's their biggest, that's how you pick a church is over a mask. Here's what we're going to make a big deal, Mission Church. You ready? His name's Jesus. We're going to make a real big deal about Jesus. I mean, that, that's our big deal here. 
I'm not going to make big political statements. I'm not going to let you know if I'm a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian um, or I'm apolitical. I don't even know what I am. Pray for me. Um, I'm not going to go there. This church is going to be all about Jesus, you becoming like Jesus, living like Jesus, and loving like Jesus. I'm not trying to get any man's agenda done. I got one life to live. So many things. Every year, culture's telling us to care about something different. So the title of my message today, this is a big deal to God. You ready? So what we're doing is we're looking at the 66 books written by 40 authors and looking at rhythms. God, what's important to you? Here's the time of message. Ready? What's a big deal? Leadership. Yeah. Okay. It's like one of my coolest noises ever made. Like, I don't know if I could do it again. This was on accident. Be like, Tyler, is leadership really that big a deal? I'm going to go straight to the Word of God. I'm going to show it to you. Isaiah 9.16. Let me give you some context for Isaiah. The uh, people of Israel um, are on their way to destruction. They're on their way to being destroyed. Now, they don't look that bad at this time. It's kind of like a veneer. You know in a veneer you see, uh, it, looks, it looks like a beautiful tooth, but underneath it's actually a rotted tooth? That's Israel at this time. It's kind of like America. We look great on the outside, but we are decaying on the inside. And so Israel is heading for destruction. Why are they heading for destruction? You got to ask yourself, why are they being destroyed? Why are they going to be destroyed? Here's what it says in Isaiah 9, 16. For the leaders of the people have misled them. They have led them down the path of destruction. Ooh, stop. I'm going to read it one more time for you. You need to hear it. So, so why? Because the leaders of the people have misled them. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a leader. One of the biggest lies the enemy can say to you is you're not a leader. You are a leader. They say the most introverted people impact 10,000 people in their lifetime. You a leader. You lead in somebody. Somebody's watching the way you live. So it says, for the leaders of the people have misled them. They have led them down a path of destruction. Let me ask you a question. Who are you following today? You following money? You following Billie Eilish? You know, our next song come out, that's how you build your doctrine on life. Maybe a new, new, new rap song, maybe, maybe an athlete, what they say, you're like, well, I just really love what they say. They're great. Maybe, you, maybe you're really political and you're following somebody's political bent. Who are you following today? Here's what I know. If you want to change your life, you got to change who you roll with. You want to change who you are, you got to change your leader. Um, very, very uh, famous game. Uh, we were kids, we'd play it. You guys remember the game, Follow the Leader? If you don't know the game, we'd like you just to stand up and walk out, okay? <laughs> what, what, huh? Okay, follow the leader, very famous game. Uh, you just have somebody do something, they walk around, you follow them. It's a childhood game. Sometimes I feel like life is like a big game of follow the leader. But the problem is that when you are a kid, the only thing that happens when you play it as a game is you either get really bored, because it's a really boring game, to be honest, or you'd lose. I don't even know really how you lost in it, but you could lose. But if you play the game as an adult, follow the leader, and you pick the wrong leader, you don't lose in a game, you don't get bored, it's life and death. It's heaven and hell. It's a broken marriage or restored marriage. It is a broken family or restored family. It is a story of overcoming or is a story of being defeated. Let me ask you, who are you following? I love that God is a leader. I love that he wants to lead us. It says this in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Can I tell you something real quick? God wants to lead you. Satan wants to drive you. Satan's a driver. He wants to drive you crazy. He wants to wear you out. He wants to put yoke on you that will destroy your life. He wants you to be so driven to succeed in your career that you would forfeit your soul to gain the world. 
But God is so kind as a shepherd and he just wants to lead you to green pastures. He wants to lead you to redemption. God is not a driver. He's not going to grab you by the neck and say, get over here. But it says that sin is crouching at the door, at the door waiting to literally pounce on you and grab you. Pleasure wants to drive you. It says that our God would be our appetite, a.k.a. you would be driven by whatever would be more pleasurable for you. Have you ever seen somebody who's just so angry and they can't control their anger? You're being driven by something. But God wants to lead you. I got one more illustration. I'm going to pray. This is such an important topic, leadership. And I'm not going to say it's important. I'm going to say that leadership is vital. This, this whole topic of leadership. It's not like, oh, is it leadership a big deal? No, it's, uh, what's the big deal? It should be like, what's vital? This is life and death. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, uh, my uncle was a uh, pilot for 30 years, flew in the Navy, just like, you know, um, a Maverick from Top Gun. He would take off the battleships, uh, the aircraft carriers, fly and then land on those things. I, I got to see, uh, you know, pictures and all kind of stuff. Uh, my friends who fly, my cousin uh, is, uh, uh, was a pilot. Her husband is also uh, a uh, Navy pilot, uh, landing on aircraft carriers. And so I know a little bit about flying, but something happened this past year. Uh, Kobe Bryant passed away. And anybody a, a basketball fan? So when Kobe passed away, like it rocked the basketball world, okay? Just, just gonna let you know, like I had friends who like were crying over it, okay? Because when you're an athlete and you have a broken family, uh, you f- try to find other heroes to show you that you can overcome and do something great. And so Michael Jordan was my hero. And that's who I like put my hope in before I found Jesus. But so Kobe um, had a, uh, an imprint on a lot of my friends' lives. I'm like, how did this guy wreck? What happened? And I found out there's two ways that you fly. There's VFR and IFR. And bear with me here. VFR is when it's clear out. It's visual flight response. It's clear out. You look at the horizon and you can just fly. It's super easy. I see the horizon. I'm flying. You just fly with your eyes. Very, very easy. But when you get in the clouds, it's IFR. Instrument. I don't know what the term is. Instrument something. Uh, instrument flight response, excuse me, instrument flight response. So you got visual flight response and instrument flight response. So when it's cloudy, the worst thing that you can do is fly by feel. Super dangerous. I feel like I'm going up. I feel like I'm going down because when you get in the clouds, you get disoriented. And so they train pilots, do not fly by feel. Look at your instruments. It will tell you if you're going up or down. What happens is, is when you fly for a lot of years, you get kind of cocky. You get kind of arrogant. Oh, I know what I'm doing. And what happened with this pilot is he thought he was pulling up, but he rammed their, uh, um, their helicopter straight into the ground and everybody died. It's a devastating story. And then I Googled it. I found that this actually happens a decent amount from pilots. Pilots who get in the clouds, they get disoriented and they think they're going up to save their life and they're actually pushing down to kill themselves. There's a term, 178 seconds to live. Can I, can I bring it back to the message? Culture's really cloudy. Oh, it's so cloudy. You get so disoriented. It turns you, it makes you feel like up is uh, down and down is up. It makes you feel right is wrong and wrong is right. It makes you feel unholy is holy and holy is unholy. It makes you feel love is this and love is that. And you start pulling up, but really you're actually ramming your life into destruction. Leadership is a big deal. Let me ask you again, who are you following? Who's flying your plane? 
Because the reality is, is oh, I'm going up on my career. I've given my whole life to my career. I'll see my kids one day. I'll see my marriage one day. I'll start, I'll start going to church one day. I'm just so busy. So I'm just going to climb my career. Oh, I got to the top. And everything else crashed and died. You've been disoriented by culture because it said your career is the most important thing. Oh, how sad is it if a man gains his career or a woman gains her career but forfeits the whole world? Oh, there, there is this heaviness about our one life. There's a heaviness. So the flight term is 178 seconds. The biblical verses are our life is but a breath, but a fleeting shadow. And we get one, we get one shot at this. One shot to follow the King of Kings. You know what Jesus says when he comes on the scene? Do you know what his first thing he preaches? Repent. You can almost hear him say to the pilots that are ramming their planes in the ground, all the people that are going to destruction, pull up, pull up, repent, pull up. You're going to death this way to life. I can fly the plane. Let me fly the plane. Let me show you how to fly the plane because the way that you guys are flying, it's destruction. The leaders have misled you. Culture is misleading you. Ooh, young people, if you're in the house right now, culture is lying to you. Adults, culture is lying to you what's important. Get in the word of God. Do not fly by feelings. Oh, this feels right. This feels like the thing I should do. No, no, no. IFR, instrument reading. I, I call this Christianity. Get in your word of God and find clarity. Bible, you say to do it, I'm going to do it. I, I, I've said this before, but if you have a God that always agrees with you, you're probably your own God. You know, just, I feel like God always agrees with me. And when we find something in scripture we don't like, we both throw it out together. It's fantastic. Oh, that we would have a church that would say, God, you're our leader. Because I believe the greatest leaders are the greatest followers of the greatest leader. And if you would actually choose for a season of your life, I'm gonna say this to you, for one year of your life, don't do it for 10 days, but for one year of your life to say, God, you're gonna be first in my life. I'm gonna follow your ways. I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna make sure that you, are, my, my life and my family we're oriented around everything you'd want us to be oriented around. You and your house. Tell me how your life is in a year. Tell me what it looks like. I got some verses for you. I'm going to read you. I got three things I'm going to share with you about leadership, and then I'll pray. Uh, but I'm going to pray first, and then I'll pray again, and then we'll do communion, and then I'll pray some more. It's my first time back. I'm kind of rusty. I forget what I'm supposed to pray. And I'm winded. You got to be in shape to preach. I just found that out. Yeah. I've been working out, too. It's just a different kind of muscle. We guys bow your heads up and pray. God, today, last Saturday, tonight, Lord, I pray that my words would fall to the floor. Oh, Lord, that we would be a church that as the world thinks they're going up, but really they're going down, that they would see somebody else just flying a little different, living a little different, oh, following something different, and his name is Jesus. Oh, may we be great followers. May this church be marked by obedient followers. Oh, sacrificial. Oh, ones that see your word and say, God, if your word says it, I'm going to live it. Oh, Lord, may we love well. May we serve well. May my words fall to the floor and may yours soar. Oh, may I get out of the way tonight. And everybody said? Three things I'm going to share with you about leadership. Three things. First one is this. I'm going to read you all three and then we'll go into my points. Every leader needs to know they have a calling. What you're made for, your purpose, like why you are alive. It's a question I think everybody desires. Uh, we are the most unfulfilled generation ever in America. And I believe you're un unfulfilled because you don't know your calling. So, so everything needs to know their calling. Uh, it's just a fancy Christian word for your purpose. Uh, second thing is every leader needs clarity on how to live. I think like, to be honest, 
as a youth pastor, one of the things I'd always say to youth pastor, like, man, I wish I could just live your life for you. I would make better decisions for you. I would, I would tell you to date other people. I wouldn't have done that on Friday night. Like, if you just would allow me to live your life, you would have a great life. Because to be honest, a lot of people don't know how to live. They don't know how to date. They don't know how to forgive. They don't know how to love. They're just doing their own thing. They took their, to be honest, we normalize unhealth in our families. We take the unhealth from our family and then we just repeat it and think it's normal. It's not normal. I want to teach you how to live tonight. Every leader needs to know how to live. And then last but not least, every leader needs to know who they are. Man, start with the who's in your life. Start with the who's. And here's what I mean by start with the who's. Every, every birthday, I, I, I write down goals. I, I want to be, be a really good pastor. I want to be present with people. I want to share my life with them. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great friend. So I write down all these do's a lot. Like, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do this better. And this last year, on my birthday, I didn't write down do's. I just wrote who I wanted to be. And what's interesting, when you write down who you want to be and who God's called you to be, the do's follow. And so I want to be a disciplined person. And so I wrote down, who do I want to be as a leader? I want to be a disciplined leader. And I, what does that look like? It means a leader that would wake up at this time. What else does that mean? And I just, I just wrote these things down. I said, God, will you help me become who you called me to be? Some of you, you, you never know your who, so you don't know your do's. Does that make sense at all? Well, if not, I'm still going to preach it. Let's go. Okay, here we go. First point, every leader needs to know they have a calling. Let's just define calling real quick. It's why you're alive. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Very, very famous verse. And this is your answer. Some of you are not going to like it. You want it to be sexier. Can I say that in church? I did, okay? A lot of reason why people don't say yes to leadership yet is because they want a role in church. Give me a role. Give me a title. I'll give you a title right now. Queen of the earth, king of the earth. Done. Greatest title ever. What are you, the church? King of the earth. I'll give you the greatest title. In charge of everything, okay? Uh, executive, administrative, whatever you want. You can make up a title and come to me. I'm fine with it. Do you know that Jesus never gave titles away or roles away? He gave away responsibility. The church is not about roles. It's about responsibility. And it gives away a calling responsibility. And it's not the sexiest thing, but man, if you say yes to this, I guarantee you your life will be more fulfilled. They've done studies that when you have people pouring into you and you pour into people, you are more fulfilled than you were before. It says this in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Stop. So a lot of people, when they're processing their life, like, Lord, what do you want from me? Be specific. You know, and I've done before. I, I have. I've, I've, who's ever taken their Bible and just flipped it open to a page? And you're like, what you got for me today, God? <laughs> all right, 2 Kings 23. The king sent all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and they gathered to them. I will look for elders, and I will gather with them also, God. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Stop that. Okay? <laughs> As your pastor. It's not how the Bible is intended to be read or used. You get some bad ones sometimes too. Anyways, there is this desire in our heart to get this really specific, I'm gonna stick with it, sexy role. That's my last time. It does sound weird. I regret it now. I regret it. Edit it out. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. All right. Um, first time back. Give me a little bit of grace. And the reality is, is your calling is probably more specific than you know. So God has called all of us to build people. 
We're builders. You're a builder. That's the, you start building people, you start building this house, watch what happens to your fulfillment. He came to give you an abundant life. And the one thing he told you to do for this abundant life, the one general statement was to build people, make disciples, and you'll see throughout scripture, he should be first, build his house. You'll see that, the, that you cannot have the fulfillment of life without the community of God's people. You see that in Ephesians. I'm gonna show you it to you in Haggai, Haggai, whichever you wanna pronounce it. But if I could just unpack this real quick, here's how it's so specific. So God gives you the general part, but then he really makes it specific. He gives you location and vocation. Your location is really specific. Very specific. God could have had you birthed in any country uh, at any time. This is how big our God is. You could have been birthed in the 1400s, 1600s, and been birthed in Italy. But God said, nope, I'm going to have you birthed right now. I'm going to have you live in the Bay Area. So you, your calling is this location. Because calling is connected to location and vocation. And so vocation is so many things. It's not a job. Throw, throw, throw that part out. What it is is, Lord, what is my grace? Like, how do I live life? So, so I'll use a job real quick. How does God reach a cop? Does he send the pastor from Mission Church into the precinct? All right, cops, come around here. I'm going to tell you about the gospel. Is that what he does? No. You know how he reads a cop? With another cop who's an undercover pastor. He's a cop for a living, but really he's a disciple. He's a builder. He's a minister. Cops just, uh, his career. Can I just tell you real quick? Career is what you get paid for. Your calling is what you're made for. Okay. Your career, you get paid for that. Your calling is why you're alive. So you got a career. Boom. How, how do you reach other business people? Send the pastor in the business building. Hello, business people. It's Pastor Tyler here. I want to talk to you about sexy roles in the church. I'm evangelizing. I got to use that in the, the world. They get it. Got to be edgy, right? I don't know. I don't know. No. What do you do? God takes a business person and as an undercover minister, uses them to reach that location with their vocation. The things that you're passionate about. Do you know what's interesting? We could all talk about things that we love to do and things we hate to do, and we'd all be different. That right there is so specific. I hate shopping. Me and Joe were talking about it. We hate shopping. Up top. Ready? Air high five. Bam. We got a life to live. I need to be on Instagram instead of shopping. I was like, what are we doing instead of shopping? I don't know. Watching sports. I don't know. We're like, we had an important life, Lisa, because we were talking about shopping in a little pre-service thing. Some of people love shopping. Some people love sports. Some people hate sports. How do you reach people who love sports? Send me and Joe in. We'll take care of business. You see that Russell Westbrook trade, everybody? Like, oh my gosh, yeah, you talk about sports. No joke. Like one of the, my greatest tools is, I, I'm a sport fan, forgive me. I know some people in the room hate, hate sports. So do I. They're such an idol. I hate them. Gosh, sports. Anyways, um, but I still am a sports fan, but it's not an idol in my life. But I'll talk to guys and they'll talk about sports. And these guys know like the 53-man roster for the Niners. And, you know, I mean, literally like they, a lot of Christians actually know more about the Niners than they do the Bible. That's a problem. Um, or the Warriors and who they're drafting. And you can't even tell me the 12 disciples, but that's a different story. Uh, you can tell me the 12 Warriors, but not the 12 disciples. Problem. Anyways. Um, but what happens a lot is I'll be golfing or I'll be at a store or I'll be on vacation and I'll start talking sports and I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, Westbrook. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I'll, and then we'll talk about something else, you know, oh, Aaron Rodgers. And so like for 15 minutes, just we talk in sports and then their defense mechanism down. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. You're a pastor. I didn't know pastors could like sports. We can, just can't be an idol. Okay. Let's talk. Don't do that. And then I get to share the gospel with them. It's very specific to the way God knitted me. It's very specific. There are specific passions 
the Bible, if I, I don't want to do, if I go down the teaching trail too long, there'll be a five-hour message I just got back, but there's grace and charis. Your, your, your charis is the way that God needed you in your own grace. So there's two Greek words for grace, and one of them is charis. And, and it's like, you, just you, only you have that grace. It's the way you walk in a room. It's the way you laugh. It's the way you talk to people. It's your passions. It's what you're good at. It's what you're not good at. And it's given to you so God will use it, so you can use it to relate to people and love people and serve people and build people. Oh, you're calling specific. Every leader needs to know they're called. Start using what God gave you. Does that sound good? My second point is this. Every leader needs to know how to live, how to live. Now, why did I say every leader needs to know how to lead? Very simple. Put one of my personal quotes on here. Ready? It's a big, big quote. Tyler Johnson original. I think it's up there. Nope, never mind. It's my first week back. Maybe I didn't email. How you are living is how you are leading. Is that, on, is that on the screen? Nope. Hey, that's a good way to tell me no. Put Mission Church on the screen. No, it's not there. All right. I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry. That's funny. If you're watching online, it's right there underneath. Okay. Bam. How you are living is how you are leading. Some are like, why am I a leader? I've heard it said this way. I'm sorry, I can't hear what you're saying. Your actions are so loud. A lot of you want to speak up, but the way you've been living life, that's already loud enough for me. I don't need to hear anything. But the way that you live your life is how you lead people to life. Let me put it this way. What you're prioritizing is what you are preaching. So whatever you prioritize in life is what you're preaching is the good news. So if you prioritize sports, my, my kids, we got to do sports because they love sports and we prioritize sports. And again, I, this comes from a sports fan, so I'm allowed to say this real quick. You set your kid up for failure. Sports is not the most important thing in your kid's life. Jesus is. You can't put it on pause. So you're preaching sports is fulfillment. That got preached to me and it did a lot of damage in my life. And so I'm not going to try to repeat that rhythm. I'm going to let you know real quick. Jesus should be first. So there's this uh, moment in Hey Guys. It's, it's an amazing uh, book. Um, Take I two, and I'm going to call this part of, you know, how, you know how to live is, I think everybody wants to live what chapter two shows us. And I, I, I don't even have to take a survey real quick. I'm positive that in this room, we all have the same goal, general goal. We all want to live a fulfilling life. We all want to feel fulfilled. We all want to have that life that we feel like God promised to us, the abundant life. Raise your hand if you want to be fulfilled by God. Who wants an abundant life? I think that's every, everybody. Okay, we're on the same page. That's the first time everybody's raised their hand in church. God bless. The special group. Way to finish Saturday strong. Okay. Um, can't wait for Sundays. Um, we want a great life, a fulfilling life. Well, Haggai 2 promises this fulfilling life, and I want to read it to you real quick. For this is what the Lord of the heaven army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations. Anybody feel like there's been a shaking this past year? God's a shaker. But he's not shaking to punish you. He's not shaking to punish Mission Church. We, uh, we closed the doors right after our two-year anniversary. Saw a thousand salvations in two years. It was amazing. We run three services. And then we had to shut the doors and go online for 51 weeks. I haven't seen some people from our church in a year and a half or two years come back to the house. And on my sabbatical... I'm just more convinced than ever, God, you shook for a good reason. You move people. You, you're moving hearts. You're doing something good. This is a good shaking. I know it's painful, but God is a shaker. He doesn't shake to hurt. He shakes to bring new fruit and new fulfillment. I'm going to show it to you real quick. 
So he shakes the nations. So why? So all the treasures of the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of the heavens armies. I will fill this place. Just, can I just tell you something real quick? God is in the filling business. He's in the filling business. Let me, let me tell you something real quick. Uh, when God creates the heaven and the earth, he, he takes the ocean, and what does he do? Does he leave it just like an ocean? No, he fills it with fish. So he forms the ocean, fills it with fish. He forms the sky, then he fills it with birds. He forms the temple and has him fill it with furniture. He forms man and fills him with his breath. He forms and he fills. He forms and he fills. He did not form you to have you be empty. He formed you to fill you. And in Haggai 2, he says, oh, I'm going to fill the temple. Can I tell you something real quick of the temple is in the New Testament? It's you. So after a shaking, he's not going to fill a building. He doesn't want to fill a building. He's not in the building business. He's in the people business. And so he forms and he fills and he sees your life and he sees a lot of empty Christians. And you may think the pandemic is terrible and I hate it. I hate all the talk about it. I hate what it did to America. I hate all the divisiveness, but here's what I know. He is shaking to fill Christians. Oh, he is forming and he is filling. Yeah, you can clap. We used to do that a lot before COVID. He forms and he fills. So hey, guy, too, it's this promise. Ooh, I'm going to shake. I'm going to shake. I'm going to shake, but then I'm going to fill. So there's a promise he's going to fill your life. Who doesn't want to be filled? Goes on to say, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. So the Lord said, everything in this earth, it's mine. So I can take it and I can give it. I just love that we have a sovereign, powerful God. We got a big God. I hope you have a big view of who your God is. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. How many of you want your future days to be better than your past days? I think one of the problems with Christians and the problems with churches in general is they always talk about the good old days. I'll never forget. Those are the best days. No! Scripture promises us that the future will be better than the latter. Here's why. Because his glory gets bigger and bigger as you grow as a Christian. It says in, in Corinthians, I'll read you this verse, but it's incrementally that we become more and more like him and we have more and more of his presence. Woo, how can that not be better? More joy, more fulfillment, more wise. Who wouldn't want that? I will bring peace. Oof. And to this place, I will bring peace. Man, we need peace. Man, there's so much depression and anxiety. Rachel and I were talking about being anxious today. We're anxious, we're that he prayed together, like, are you feel anxious? Hey, I'm anxious. And it's like, man, what? I never used to get anxious. Why am I getting anxious, Lord? I just want your peace. A lot of time, I, to be honest, I get anxious is because I feel like the pressure that I need to be, do a great job. And then Rachel and I will talk about service and like, we don't gotta do a great job. We just gotta be faithful. I don't need to be great. I need to be less, actually. May I become less and he become more. And then I just get so much peace again when I get put in my spot. Goes on to say, the Lord of the heaven's armies has spoken. Woo! So everybody wants chapter two. Can we agree with that? Fantastic. I'm halfway through my message. <laughs> it's my last time doing only one service because then we go to two. I've got to be shorter. So just bear with me. Is there I have to go for another 10 minutes? 20 minutes? 30 minutes? 40 minutes? Can I get an hour? You got a little quieter at the hour. I love pastors like, you can watch a three-hour movie, but you can't sit in church for, whatever. I'm like, have you ever seen Marvel Endgame? It's understandable. It's a great movie. You preach a message that good. All right. So here's the deal. So chapter two, we want chapter two. Problem is, 
is we don't want to live chapter one right. So chapter two is promised to us, fulfillment. God's promises being poured out. Oh, it's a great thing. But the only reason they got to chapter two is because chapter one, God came with a challenge and a correction saying, hey, you're not living right. I need you to live right. You know what they call Haggai as the prophet? The alarm clock prophet. He's the prophet that comes and starts saying, boo, 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 you're living wrong. Your life is terrible. It's almost like you got the instruments and the plane's about to crash. And hey, guys, a prophet that comes to the people, the alarm clock prophet saying, hey, lazy Christian, stop being lazy. Hey, selfish Christian, wake up and come back to the house and build the house. Here's the wake up chapter one. Here's, he's going to wake up everybody to live the right life. Let's look at it. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet of Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of whatever, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the son of a guy named Jay, the high priest. This is what the Lord of the heavens army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So just to give you context, I've met too many Christians with this answer. Hey man, you ready to give God everything? You ready to live for God? It's just not the right season for me. You know, with career and kids, I just don't have time for, to really live for God right now. I, I, love, I love to serve at church, but I just don't have time to give God time. I just don't have time to live for the one who created me. I just don't have time for that. And what this is saying is this, this was happening in biblical times. Before iPhones, before commuting, before iPads. Can I just tell you something real quick? A bandwidth issue is not a cultural issue. It's a spiritual issue. And what I mean by that is we, we, we get so impressed with ourselves now. Old people in the Old Testament, they were just inferior people. No, they had the same excuses as you did. You know, it's, to be honest, I don't got enough time for the Lord right now. You know, sunsets at five and we got no electricity. I don't really do anything after five, but I'm just too busy for God. Man, that excuse has been around since the beginning of time. Goes on to say that the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxury houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of the heaven army says. Look at what's happening to you. The Lord, I love how he's just, God's a, God's a very reasonable God. He just he goes, look at your life real quick. Look at what's happened to you. So let's just pause real quick. Look what's happening to America right now. You think it's going well? It's not. Just give it up. It's going terrible, actually. I was talking to one of my buddies before service, and we're like, this is the darkest I've ever seen, like, America. Now, I've been alive a long time. You know, there's been some dark times in our history, very dark. I mean, dark times. So I'm not saying those times. I'm just saying when I've been alive, what I've seen so far, man, it looks like America's going like this. Let me put it this way. Um, Adam Silver uh, came out and ruffled a lot of feathers by saying it, but they did like a survey or whatever. He said, majority of NBA players are miserable. Like, but you have fame, money. How are they miserable? He's like, you guys don't get it. They're miserable. I shared a few weeks ago that they shared a percentage where the most miserable uh, we've ever been in our nation. Only 14% of America is actually happy. 86% is miserable. So this verse just says, take a look at what's going around. No, 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 that's good to look out. But now you gotta look at yourself. He said, look at you. And you gotta be really honest with yourself because one of the best leadership principles is self-leadership. And you gotta look at your own life. Everybody in this room, you've been wounded by somebody. You've been betrayed by somebody. A pastor said something they shouldn't have said. A parent did something they shouldn't have done. A coworker, a friend, a spouse. We've all been wounded. We all have scars. Some of them aren't healed maybe yet. And the Bible literally tells you that is not a reason for you not to live for God and give your whole life to God. Well, actually, I feel like that's when the healing starts to happen. Let's keep going. 
You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. It's crazy. You read the scripture and then you look at everybody who's in, in sports and millionaires. 70% of athletes go bankrupt. This is like, again, like you make millions and you got holes in your pockets. You, people are, you're working your face off. And again, we're the richest area in the nation. I think it's kind of cool, actually. This is the richest area in all of the U.S. per capita but it's the poorest place. Can't keep warm, can't be fulfilled. It's, it's a very fascinating thing. It says it's like your pockets have holes in them. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now get up, go up into the hills, bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of the heavens armies. Why all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and earth that produces no crops. Can I just tell you real quick, the cross conquered all the curses. There are no curses. I, 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 I'm not a big fan that Christians who are very suspicious of like, if you put the TV on, it invites the demons into the house. What? Huh? God is bigger. Trust me. Demons from friends are not going to get in my house and destroy my house. I'm sorry. They're Christians. They're very afraid of a lot of things. The cross, ooh, God is bigger. But man, that doesn't mean that we don't forfeit blessing on this side of the cross. The Bible says we reap what we sow. The Bible shows that you cannot be blessed if you put God last. Like, it just, it doesn't work. Like, Hey, guess what? This last year, didn't go to church at all, didn't live for God, didn't pray, didn't spend time with God. My marriage is great. My soul is great. My mind, that doesn't happen. I've never met that Christian. But the reality is, is that we think that we can give God a few Sundays a year, we can serve here and there, and then our life is gonna be a bountiful harvest. The Bible says the opposite. It says that you're withholding the dew in your life. And if you knew anything what the dew represented, it meant the, the flowing, oh, how things would, uh, botanical things in your life would grow. The fruit of the spirit, joy, peace, patience. Ooh, if you actually started putting God first in your life, watch what happens. It's the principle of first. It's all throughout the Bible. Too many of us have the urgent still from the important. It's that simple. You have plans, you know, like even this week, you're like, I'm gonna live for God this week. And then Monday happens, you're like, oh no, my garage door broke. Oh no, kids gotta go to sports. And, you know, all these urgent things, and then the most important thing just takes a back seat. You have to find a way to live your life in a way that the important things are guarded. Can I just say really plainly real quick? If God is not first in your life, in your, your family's life, and you're not oriented around God in his house, I gotta say this to people online real quick, I'm glad you digest content, but if you're not building God's house and you're not living for God and God has taken a back seat, you are not leading well because you're not living well. You're not. Until God is first in your life, me as your pastor, I cannot tell you you're living your life well. I would be telling you this real quick. The Bible said the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. I want to say the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. How does he still kill and destroy from you? Does he come into your house and knock on the door and steal everything from you? No, he sells you a different gospel. Hey, make this the first, this is the gospel. Make this first in your life. And why he's selling you this gospel, you put this first and God's over here and you wonder why your life is in shambles. Oh, I pray truth is piercing your heart tonight. Oh, I pray that you're saying, God, why have you been second in my life? Why have you been dead last? I pray right now that something's happening in your heart, even for your family. If you're the leader of your household, you're saying, why am I leading my family this way when God told me to lead them this way? If you are a person who goes to school right now, Man, stop being such a follower of culture and start leading young people to Jesus. If you're in the workplace or you're around anybody, 
put God first and see what happens. I'm telling you, it is the only way to fulfillment and to the promises of God. I don't know why Christians talk themselves into it. You know, I really don't have to live for God, but I can like God and he can help me build my thing and then life's gonna be great. It's not in the Bible. I feel like I yelled at you, I'm sorry. I started sweating. I invite the worship team to come up. My last point is simply this. Every leader needs to know who they are. They need to know who they are. You know what I love about Jesus? Is he would define you and I all the time in the Bible. He'd define his disciples. One of my favorite moments in all the Bible when you define them, he tells that us as Christians, as leaders, that we are salt and light of the earth. You know who you are? You're salt. And again, you're like, okay. You light, okay. You unpack that real quick. The Lord's saying, you know what you are? You make things better and brighter. When a leader walks in the room, they make things better and brighter. You know what's funny about a lot of Christians? They think God told them there's something else. Some people, they think they're calculators. Like there are Christian calculators. Can I tell you what a Christian calculator is real quick? They think they know everything about the Bible and they tell you everything to do. Literally, I want to read you a verse real quick. It's, it, it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 8. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that. We, have all, uh, we, have, um, we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. So many people who think they know everything in the Bible, well, I'm just strengthening the church. Strengthen the church with love. Hey, we're going to preach truth. We're going to preach doctrine. I love the Bible. I devour I, I love the word of God. I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God because it teaches me about Jesus and I follow Jesus. Goes on to say, watch this. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Be careful about being the answer guy. Just be careful. Be careful about being drawn to answer guys. Because it says this, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. The Christian calculators, oh, boop, 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 boop. Uh, Bible says this, this is evil, boop, 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 boop. you're evil, boop, boop, boop. shouldn't do that, boop, boop, boop. don't do that. And so you got human calculators and they're just telling you all these rules, not making anything better, but just putting a lot of yoke on people. And your goal this week, don't, don't tell everybody what's right and wrong. Make things better and brighter. Well, Tyler, then the, the doctrine of God is going to be thrown out. No, it's not. To be honest, as the, like theologians, when they study it, there's only a handful of things we can agree upon. Jesus is Lord, the Trinity. That even gets debated sometimes. I don't know how, but it does. Um, that the fall of man, that, that we are fallen, we can't save ourselves. There's a handful in the Bible that are closed-handed issues. Hold on to those. But everything else, can I just tell you, man, God didn't call you to be the calculator of the church and tell everybody else what is right and wrong. He didn't tell... What's your view on uh, this in ministry? What's your view on alcohol? What's your view on altar calls? What's your view on how you should open service? What's your view on how to close service? What's your view on this? What's your view on that? If that's what you want from me, this is not this church. If you want Jesus to be preached, if you want uh, the, the gospel to go forth, if you want the Bible to be taught, that's gonna be this church. I'll be honest, people ask me this question a lot. What's your view with women in ministry? I don't know. You know, some guys think this. Some guys think this, I, I'm not smart enough. Somebody asked me the other day, Ty, you're gonna write a book? I don't got a book in me, I told him. Maybe a pamphlet, 10 pages. I got about a pamphlet worth of knowledge that I could write. Being the best-selling pamphlet on New York Times. I, to be honest, I, I, went on this, I went on this sabbatical and I was like, Lord, I'm gonna figure out everything I believe in about the Holy Spirit, 
Lord, because I, I don't want people who are anti-Holy Spirit to walk out the doors. I want to be able to unpack because I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that you can speak in tongues. I believe that you can be healed today. All those kind of things. Because the reality is, I just don't see in the Bible where it says no. But at the same time, if you don't believe those things, I don't think that's a close-handed issue. I don't think we should be divided over it. But the reality is, right, you, you believe that people could speak in I'm out of here. Oh, you made a big deal about the wrong thing. Oh, you leave in church because of that one topic? Not because a thousand people got saved, not because we're loving people, but just because you have one doctrine thing where you think in Corinthians says when the perfect comes, everything will pass. And that you're pulling from like, you're taking these Greeks and this one thing, you're pulling from left field and you're like, and then you tell me that people speak in tongues uh, or speaking to demons and I don't, that's not even scripture. Now your doctrine's off. Oh, this is so sad. So how do we become great leaders? I think you need to know who the best leader is. His name is Jesus. And there's an attribute of God that I just think all of us should have. I'm finished with this. I'm sorry, I went long. But you said yes to an hour. Yes, you did. Just kidding. Second Corinthians 3 says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's a fancy Christian word, and the veil is simply this. It's you, once you turn to God, you have direct, direct access to God. You don't have to earn your way to God, like, like Jesus tore the veil. So it's just a fancy word saying we have access to God, direct access. For the Lord is spirit. It's a bad translation, to be honest. It's a bad translation. Because spirit isn't uh, uh, adequate enough. It's the Greek word pneuma, but pneuma isn't even really adequate enough. It's, it's more like a verb. It's a, for God is, it's like when God walking around, like, you know, guys, you, you know when he's in the room. You're going to feel a breath. You're going to feel, you're going to, feels a little levity in your life. You're going to feel some joy because for God, is, he's spirit. So, so I want you to picture real quick, when God walks in a room, when his spirit's in the room, it's not, well, he's spirit. No, there's a presence. For God is a presence. He's a presence. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Man, in this house, there's going to be freedom. There's going to be freedom. Oh, people are going to get free, free of sin. Sin is stealing from you. Oh, hell is real. Oh, you have one life. Sin is taking from you. So you get around God, he starts breathing on your life. You're gonna wanna walk away from sin. You're not gonna wanna live for God. You're gonna find out what sin is. So all of us who have had these veils removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. So now that we have the veil removed and we see this and we experience this, we experience the glory, but it doesn't stop there. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Every, every, every year, every day, a little bit more like God, a little bit more like God, a little bit more like God. You hang out with God, you're a little bit more like him. You walk out and you're better and brighter and you're loving people, you're more kind, you're more forgiving. And of course, you're, you're, you're reading your word and you're, you're finding truth and light and it's an amazing thing, but this is what I love when what happens to you. I wanna show you actually a, a moment in the Bible where this happens. These guys hung out with Jesus for years and they were ordinary people. And here's what it says in Acts 4, 12. We're gonna finish with this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Woo! May we have Christians that stand on that truth. There is no other salvation way. There is no other way to heaven besides Jesus. They proclaim it. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now let's stop real quick. I'm going to rewind for they could see that they were ordinary men. Do you know what that Greek word ordinary is? Idiocy. It's actually the word that means idiot. 
So this is what the real, the real translation. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were idiots. They're like, Peter and John, these guys are idiots. They're not trained. These are idiots, but they're preaching with boldness and they're, 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 they're turning upside down our world. How are these ordinary idiots with no special training in Scripture doing this? They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing right in front of them, there was nothing the council could say, stop. This next season, we got a ministry center that we're almost done remodeling. We're going to be doing our uh, first of the month, first Wednesday of every month, we're going to be doing prayer and worship nights. We're going to, of course, have our mission tracks there and team nights and other things. But for the next four months, you'll see our, when the calendar comes out that, man, one thing that this church is always going to nudge you towards is just the presence of God. Just the presence of God. Because the more and more you get in his presence, the more and more you start to look like the person of Jesus. And when you start to look like Jesus and live like Jesus, you start to lead like Jesus. And we have more people living and loving like Jesus, we'll have the greatest leaders this world has ever seen. I really believe it. It's a big deal that you become like Jesus. It's a big deal that Jesus becomes first in your life. It's a big deal that you get in his presence and have in your life and you become free. And the more free you become, the more loving you become, the more free you become, the more of a servant you become, the more free you become, the more joyful you become. Ooh, I love his presence. Will you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed and eye closed, you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. You've never said yes to Jesus. The Bible is very clear. Oh, I love it. He says, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that you'll be saved. So if you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, you want to say yes to salvation with every head bowed and eye closed. The way we do it here, it's very simple. I believe in it. It's, you raise your hand and I catch your eye and I pray for you. It's how I got saved at church. If you want to say yes to Jesus, raise your hand and catch, catch my eye real quick. Just raise it. I see you. God bless you. It's a great decision. Anybody else want to say yes to Jesus? Raise it. I want to see you. I want to pray for you. I see you. God bless you. Come on now. I see uh, you two in the back. God bless you. I see you on the left-hand side. God bless you. Come on. I need to have a church pastor conversation with everybody in the room. Head down still. If you're at your house, please still be listening. I really believe that we're starting a new season at our church. And I just want to ask real quick to every Christian, you want chapter two. You want chapter two. You want the fulfillment. You want, you want the, the shaking season not to break you, but actually to fill you. If that's you with every head bowed, eye closed, you're at home. And you're going to say, this year, Lord, I declare, there's something about declarations. Lord, I declare this year, starting August, I'm not even waiting until January, you will be first in my family's life. You will be first in my life. I will follow you. You are my leader. If you want to commit to that, I want you to raise your hand in the room. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you right now. I know people that are watching online right now in the morning. I'm going to pray for you real quick. God, Mission Church is not going to be a place where people attend church and just hear a nice message. Lord, this will be a house where you will be first. We will go get the timber and we will build your house. Oh Lord, I pray for the Christians in the room right now where they have been living a lie, been sold a wrong gospel. The enemy has been stealing and killing and destroying. Well, no longer, God. God, I believe it today. It's a new day. Oh, families are gonna live for you. Families are gonna put you first. Oh, your church is not some place to attend. It is a movement to change the world. God, use Mission Church. We love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.